You're listening to a Mint podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi everyone, this is Shovik and welcome to the Mint Techsetra podcast. I cover technology for Mint where we try to make boring tech sound cool for you and hope that we don't end up making cool tech sound boring. Tune in as we decode the latest from the world of technology in India and around the world every week. For all of you who follow the space of AI or technology in general, you must have at some point heard or seen uh, one of Jaspreet's uh, tweets or his posts on LinkedIn or heard of him or heard many of his keynotes that he's delivered some of them at our mint events uh, many of them across different different platforms so jaspreet and i met recently and we were uh, speaking about a wide range of topics and one of the things that really struck me is that jaspreet even after a long corporate career you continue to don multiple hats and many of them is in learning you're still you're still attending a number of courses and you're still learning about different things how do you keep yourself motivated for this hi shavik uh, good to be here uh, good to chat again we had a lovely chat uh, last week so in fact the reason that i left my corporate career uh, after tas microsoft and the mahindra group about 5 or 6 years back was because i wanted to learn so the learning was the motivation and what happens in a corporate career shavik while it's great and you know i, I really had fun is that you know if you if you kind of think about it and if you kind of picture uh sometimes i call it flipping the donut if you kind of picture a donut with a large hole and a thin outer layer that large hole is the earning you're focused on earning money which is fine and the thin outer layer uh, is the learning and all your learning is 100% towards supporting your earning so your learning you learn to to earn what i wanted to do was to learn for learning sake because i'm innately curious i was born curious i like learning doing 100 things not one thing and so in the sense as i tell people i flipped the donut the large internal hole is the learning and i have a small thin layer outside is the is a small business model uh, to to monetize that learning so as to support it so rather than uh, uh, learning to support the earning i have earning to support the learning and and that's what you know so so my core is learning and and there are many many things i do as formally to learn the latest uh, obviously being the ai ethics masters uh, in my relative old age at cambridge university right that's absolutely fascinating because i think you know when it comes to learning a lot of people seem to have a certain mental block in terms of being able to sort of after a certain point after maybe 10 12 15 20 odd years of working the entire perception around learning changes but i think that's one of the things that i found the most fascinating that that uh, we spoke about when we met recently and and the other thing about of course the entire uh, learning experiences of yours is that when you went into these courses you you jumped head first into this vast ocean or well some people call it an ocean some people think it's overhyped this entire world and premise of artificial intelligence and ai today is essentially everywhere and within ai generative ai today is even more everywhere on top of everything how do you view this entire space what do you feel that sometimes we overhype this piece of technology what could probably otherwise in some cases is 
is more like an if and for loop is more like a standard recommendation engine or do you think there's obviously more to the tail probably yeah good point shovik uh something which i think about often look i have been working with and on ai or machine learning uh you know for many years now as i've been with some other technologies not as a technologist but as a business guy trying to use them to make businesses run better perform better or transform businesses now while technologies come and go uh, it's been very clear at least in my mind that artificial intelligence or or sub parts of artificial intelligence artificial intelligence is not a technology it's a suite of technology it's almost a philosophy and uh, within that the technologies are things like machine learning or deep learning or uh, uh neural networks or now uh, the large language models etc while technologies come and go as i was saying it's it's this ai which is now almost more than 60 years old is something which has kind of persisted and it has always been in the background helping us do amazing things uh, andrew wang called it the new electricity because much like electricity you don't think about it unless it's not there and even before the whole chat gpt explosion uh, AI, ai if there was no ai most of the things around us would stop working you know right. e-commerce won't work and search won't work and everything so while there is hype i think there's a lot of substance in it over the decades which has uh, continued specifically on generative ai uh, obviously which is now the most hyped uh, thing ever couple things there one i do believe that while there is hype hype is sometimes good hype drives investment hype drives innovation uh, the key to figure out is what is the substance to hype ratio and in generative ai the second thing the substance to hype ratio is pretty high for, uh, you know as opposed to say something like a metaverse i mean i tell right. people that 200 million people have already done pocs for uh, proof of concepts for generative ai i mean it, you know it's you can see it you can feel it you can work with it in a few months since its launch so so while there is hype there's a lot of substance to right absolutely the metaverse in fact uh, just to digress a little bit you know i i think when the metaverse entire these conversations started and everyone started saying that oh you can do banking in a virtual world and buy a car in a virtual world and taste food in a virtual world and things like that did you at any point really believe that this was actually going to work because most of these so called metaverse demos were were very like just a video playing in front of my screen that's just what i felt <laughs> see i believe that while virtual reality would work or mixed right. reality or you know uh, extended reality i think we are moving there and uh, that's going to happen the metaverse in my opinion was a marketing term for it okay created right. by meta obviously to kind of you know get out of the hole that they dug themselves into right and right. Uh, so i while i even taught a course on metaverse at ashoka university last to last term uh, i was always skeptical about the whole hype and hoopla around naming it something and assuming that all of us are going to abandon our physical worlds and move into this make believe uh, virtual world and where nothing is ready there's no content ready there's no uh, device ready uh, and and our biologies aren't ready to do something like that so but if you kind of look at uh, basic in, uh, technologies behind it like all the virtual reality mixed reality extended reality technologies I think there are a lot of good solid especially industrial use cases uh which uh, require that and already are using that and I think 
the metaverse was a as i said was a was a thin marketing layer which was put on top to make it sound cooler than what it already was that's my view of it of the metaverse absolutely that's true so does generative ai also have does it also have a similar risk or do you think uh, of course you mentioned that there is the substance to hype ratio in generative ai is much higher but you know on the other hand there have also been concerns about you know ai hallucinating and 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 it not exactly sort of being able to replicate the sort of you know true original content so to speak of uh, of, of the way uh, humans can write versus what say a chat gpt or a bard can generate and things like that where do you think generative ai's sort of real use case lies sure actually i i wrote about this in your publication itself the last last column i think of mine or right, last right right about how been expecting too much of generative ai you know it came in and it sounded so miraculous so amazing to us that you know all of us got up the following morning and thought that this is going to disrupt every industry known to man create new industries transform all businesses make flying <laughs> cars fly and you know solve world hunger you know while it's at it i think right. no other technology has been burdened with so many expectations within like a couple of months of its birth and obviously it's not going to do all of that and therefore right. we are disappointed but if we kind of step back and look at what it can do it's it's a miracle I mean, you, when you experience it, and the way it can create, or the way it can, uh, you know, uh, help uh, draft things, and you know, build stuff, and convert from one format to other, and use language uh, the way human beings do, it, it's just amazing. Look, yes, it does hallucinate, and it does make stuff as it goes along. That's the way the technology is built. Uh, it, it does not rely on facts. It relies on almost hearsay, you know, basis. It's training. guess who other be- behaves this way making up stuff while going along not entirely basis facts etc when it happens to be human beings we yes. behave the same way because we are also trained the same way you know Absolutely. mark anderson said it very nicely in one of these podcasts with lex friedman he said when you uh, like what it says it's creativity when you don't like what it says it's hallucination so you know it depends on which way you look at it and so therefore to kind of kind of come to what you said If you use it for the right use cases, there are many, many more will emerge. We still don't know what they are. Uh, to give you a personal example, I mean, I do something similar to what you do. I write a lot, and right. uh, my writing productivity has gone up at least two to three hundred percent. Okay, because I use it, I augment it. I don't kind of do this thing of okay, ChatGPT write this article for me. That doesn't happen. Right. Okay, but uh, but when I work with it. So uh, it helps me do stuff, and finally, what I would say is that if there's anyone who doubts what uh, generative AI can do, they should look at this new suite of uh, 365 products that Office has launched, uh, Microsoft has launched. Right. The way it, it, it has just it will completely change work. How you can convert a document you've written with itself into a PowerPoint in like two, three seconds. and how that can you know translate across all of these i mean it's just unbelievable the way it's, it's kind of uh, so i think there are some almost miraculous use cases we are expecting it to do everything including solve you know nuclear fusion for us tomorrow morning and global right. warming <laughs> so that's right. the problem <laughs> so right no, that's absolutely that's that's absolutely uh, there are some ethical problems etc but that i'm sure we'll get into uh, uh, which which are different from the stuff that i just said Right. We'll in fact get to that uh, in a bit. But one of the things that you mentioned, uh, 
you know alongside expecting it to solve pretty much all of uh, human kind's problems but it does seem to be a pretty ubiquitous sort of technology like right now of course you know it, it's got that standard curve of adoption where there'd be early adopters mm. and uh, mm. all of that but going by the way it is going it seems to be something that would eventually become accessible to a large number of people of course things are very expensive now with all the compute required and so on but uh, once sort of companies start figuring this out and probably figure out a commercial model and uh, bring it to even more people do, do you think it's got that power to kind of be able to become say a, a public solution for something uh, something like say digital payments or things like that because uh, during our recent chat you did mention that uh, there is a prospect of generative ai becoming a public utility how does that work so shall we this specific aspect is the aspect i'm the most excited about okay and right and yes you're right i mean the way it started and the way it's going i mean you know while gpt the abbreviation that we know of is generative pretrained transformer there's another abbreviation uh, acronym for gpt which is a general purpose technology and there have been very few gpts electricity was a gpt fire was a gpt okay the, right. uh, the engine uh, overall engine uh, ic engine was a gpt because it could be used across different industries different things and ai right. is also a general purpose technology and you know therefore it kind of can be used in pretty much everything like electricity as i said uh right. however uh, unless we kind of create some models around it it will be difficult for it to get into everyone's hands as you, because you know you rightly said right now it's expensive the you know compute costs a lot data is expensive etc but it will go down data uh, compute uh, costs will go down by significant percentages as always happens in technology but having said that i think what i've been propagating a very vocally of late uh, is this concept what i call gen ai uh, just a play on gen ai and and the yeah. thing and you know while every country has a model china has its own model us has its own model uk you you have their own regulation led model i think the way we need to roll out generative ai and bridge the vast digital divide in india is to do it the same way as we did our uh, digital public infrastructure as a public good so you know payments as you said or identity or multiple other things which kind of we take for granted today they come free to us and they have had an enormous return on investment uh, in every way uh, entrepreneurship businesses public citizen uh, subsidies vaccinations etc etc so what i am propagating is that look if we take generative ai build our own bharat llm or large language model which we have been talking of but right. not only just build an llm that isn't going to solve the problems but then put that llm as a layer in the india stack so that generative ai this llm built on an india dialects languages context everything uh, health education data is kind of becomes a public good like uh, uh, payments or law and order or clean air or whatever and and just to complete this can actually catapult i mean dpi has catapulted india into a different league this can just catalyze it to a, a completely another league altogether i mean think of millions of creators being created uh, using this uh, the whole creative economy can be supercharged could add a substantial percentage point in gdp growth a whole new entrepreneurship uh, wave can happen like the way it happened with dpi it can now happen with this 
industries using this to do a hundred things. And frankly, more than most of all, you know, this can suddenly make uh, health info, primary health, education, uh, land legal in the hands of every Indian with a mobile phone through a very, a very conversational method. So I think it's very powerful and we have already done it once. And I'm really excited about something like this, what I call Janeyaya, as I told you. Right, absolutely. It does sound very exciting. And of course, like the possibilities, like you mentioned, can be tremendous. But where does, I mean, would there be a conflict with, because right now, you know, there are multiple corporations, private corporate entities who are building these entities. Microsoft's investing heavily. Google's sort of going after those investments as well. Then there are all the open AI, Anthropic, etc., all these companies. And where does that the, the corporate side of things come in because these corporate entities would want to right now they're spending all the money but at some point they'd want to see the returns proportionate to how much they're spending if we open up generative ai as a public good to the masses would there sort of be a conflict of interest in the way corporate deployment of the technology works versus say public technology no that's a very good question Shavik, and you know obviously it will need to be thought through but think about today's scenario. Actually, it's all these big guys, whether it be Google with GPay or whether it be Meta with WhatsApp payments uh, right. or many others who are actually the people who are benefiting most in terms of offering their product services on top of the India stack, on top of UPI in this case. So uh, I, I don't see why a similar, uh, it would work similarly in a generative AI uh, concept okay in fact it will be big tech and some of the corporates which are going to benefit the most because the way actually you know something like this will need to be built with a public private partnership uh, google itself or or open ai itself is not going to build an india llm it's too expensive okay and it doesn't make sense and when right. i say bharat llm or india llm think of an llm which is you know we have we have 12000 dialects we have hundreds of languages uh, land is measured in a different way in every other place, Nalla or, you know, Kanal or Bhika or whatever. Uh, right. Primary health uh, data in India is very different from elsewhere in the world. Similarly for education, uh, similarly right. for subsidies. The huge amount of data that the India stack today spews out through UPI, Aadhaar, etc. or DG Yatra, whatever, could become available for training. It's not going to happen. I mean, the private entities will not be able to build this. Uh, and But if this something like this is built, they would be probably the first ones who would figure out ways to ride on top of this and capitalize this. And I think they, uh, these names that we mentioned, should be a part of building it. So, you know, it should be a public-private academic partnership, much like, again, in UPI Athar. And that's the great part. We've already done it once. And it's worked and it's worked for all the constituents, including big techs. And so the same model can happen in this case. Absolutely. But they would obviously, I mean, you know, with all the things that you mentioned, and I think that's where the ethics angle also comes into our conversation, that there would at some point obviously be questions raised about the use of data and how uh, personal data is used, how public data is used in this entire process. Would that again be a challenge in training something, training an AI model like, like say, an India LLM, as you mentioned? Look, uh, I mean, even if one was to go beyond the Bharat in, or India LLM, this is the second technology, uh, Shovik. There have been only two technologies since the advent of man, which have had the creators of the technology itself plead 
to the governments for uh, regulation. Now, no inventor right. ever does that. The first right. one was nuclear. Okay, you've seen Oppenheimer. And the second one is AI, where Sam Altman, Dennis Asabis, everyone is kind of saying, regulate us. Right. So, the ethics dimensions around privacy, around bias, around fake news, around destruction of democracy, around environmental impact, are huge and profound, uh, irrespective of a Bharat LLM or not. They would need to be solved or managed, irrespective whether we create a Bharat LLM or not. Right. And these would be solved by a combination of, can only be solved by a combination of three things. Uh, government regulation, hopefully at a global level. Uh, tech safeguards, uh, like classifiers, etc. to figure out what is AI generated, what is not and citizen education. Uh, there are schools in Nordic countries where already children of 4th grade, 5th grade are being taught you know, to distinguish fake news from real news, for example. So it will have to be a combination of these three things. And that will be a superset of, um, you know, above the Bharat LLM, etc. And that same combination needs to come in here. Having said that, the same trade-offs that we have seen happening in uh, UPI Aadhaar will also happen here. And then there will always be people on both sides saying the benefits outweigh the harms or the harms outweigh the benefits. But the one thing which could be different here is that, you know, one of the problems in regulating AI is that how do you regulate it? Anyone sitting in a basement can be doing stuff and how do you kind of figure out and go arrest that person or whatever. But the right. moment you have a centralized control in a sense through the UPI Aadhaar thing, you at least know where to go regulate. Okay. And huh. also importantly, and that's the work I did in Cambridge, frankly, I spent two years doing that. The mm -hmm. Indian concept, for example, of privacy is very different from the Western concept. Western individualistic concept versus Indian or Chinese societal concept. And the therefore, the kind of safeguards, etc., which are can be built into a Bharat LLM can be closer to the way we think about privacy, for example, than say someone sitting in uh, uh, France thinks about it. Okay, And one of the reasons these don't work is because in our culture itself, we think about privacy differently. And, you know, we don't agree necessarily with the way um, an American company or a French company is talking about privacy. And that can be brought in also to this Bharat LLM as an advantage. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you, uh, you mentioned these points because uh, a couple of days ago, I was speaking with Nick Clegg of uh, mm. Facebook. And mm. uh, Nick happened to mention these points and he happened to mention that you know, he stresses on the point of, you know, needing a global collaborative framework and mm -hmm. stating that you know, we need to regulate AI because unless we do agree on a common framework and common regulations, um, in, it'll be difficult to do certain things like watermarking AI generated content during election campaigns. And with next year's, you know, major global elections coming up, the United States, India and so on. Um, yeah such a framework becomes so important going forward, especially with generative AI around. And uh, that sort of, you know, made me also wonder, do you think the development of, because so far, you know, any technology that we've seen develop has often been a very sort of technical driven conversation. It's mostly, you know, the researchers that come up with the technology, then sort of tech executives take it forward. Do you think the sort of evolution and maturity of generative AI eventually would become 
more significantly a philosophical conversation as well rather than just a technical conversation in the public sphere as well as the business spheres now that's a great great question shavik and i'll answer it in two ways one is right. what nick told you um, and you know again one of my papers in one of my terms at cambridge uh, was to do with how we need to think of the nuclear energy model with iaea Uh, and NPT, you know, non-proliferation treaty. However, you know, you might think biased it was. It has prevented Touchwood, another Hiroshima for for many years. Okay, Absolutely. years, five years, whatever. Uh, yeah. Well, the world was different then. The world is different now. So it's going to be far more difficult now than then. But you know, at least people are talking about it. Sam Altman is talking about it. Nick Clegg is talking about it. You know, a bunch of others are talking about it. And so we definitely need a global model. I agree with that with all its faults. Um, right. Coming to the second part, which is the more interesting part, and you know why it's interesting is that again I keep on referring back to Cambridge just because it's relevant. But my right. whole thesis, as I told you, was about how can we bring in Indian philosophy, specifically Vedanta, uh, to think about these thorny issues around uh, AIs. And in my case, I was focusing on privacy. But you know what generative AI has done is that, and and how it distinguishes itself from any other tech, any other so far. is that it's right. built upon the most human thing of them all what separates humans from the rest of the species and what separates human from the rest of the species not consciousness nor intelligence what separates us is how we use language so well create and use right. language uh noam chomsky right. many other philosophers have written about it and this is the only other species if i may call it which is trained on language and uh, and language is not technology language is about uh, linguistics it's about philosophy as you said it's about society sociology language is not about tech and so the way it will, this will need to be addressed is through these other disciplines uh, especially philosophy and anthropology and sociology and history uh, than only through technology the way it is being uh, addressed so far and in fact i think uh, all of us including i think in private some of the big tech companies have realized that we have landed up in this dark space in technology sometimes in a mess with social networks etc because we've right. left it only to technologists to create and regulate and uh, propagate this uh, and if there's one thing we have learned is that we now need other kind of people and why i say even big tech possibly admits it is because they have been recruiting humanists philosophers designers artists uh sociologists etc uh, you know while earlier on they were only recruiting software engineers uh, right. ethics which is what i kind of worked on uh, actually i think uh, a big big job which is going to come going forward is an ethicist and chief ethics officers okay etc uh, which right. is who will be responsible for these technology uh, uh, regulation issues and guardrails etc rather than pure engineers so and that's a hope that's a big hope philosophers finally will come back into their own philosophers in the beginning invented technology invented science science was a branch of philosophy and technology was a branch of science and then right. we forgot the mother mother uh, uh, discipline which was philosophy but i'm hoping that it stages a come back now absolutely 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 and uh, on that profound note we'll uh, sort of go towards ending our conversation but before we wrap uh, just please this is a question that i have to ask because for some reason everybody seems to think that one future version of chat gpt or 
an evolved version of generative ai in some ways going to first take our jobs and then going to make us poor and eventually kill us um i don't know i mean it sounds great as a you know movie where matt damon comes and saves mankind and you know will smith does something and all of that but how do you look at this entire you know ai will be the doom of mankind apocalyptic thing do you think ai will eventually kill us you know th- let me just put two statements in front of you one of them is borrowed from a tweet the other one i have made myself okay this is the first right. one which i'm very fond of saying and everyone seems to resonate with it and it's not originally mine uh, says that ai will not replace you or take your job but someone using ai will and it's quite profound uh, and so it's you know i don't think you need to fear a agent who would take do everything that you do it could take do certain tasks of your job but not your entire job uh, right but a human being using it well could do your entire job better faster cheaper and it's the human being using ai who you if you want to fear someone who you need to fear and so you would rather be the human being who takes the job than whose job is taken using ai Uh, and there's a lot more i can say about this and examples i can give but i'll you know given our time constraint i'll move to the other bit if you take that statement i also do believe that ai will not kill you but someone using ai could so ah. i am not scared of super intelligence terminator robots because you know hollywood and likes to make those movies and that's what right. we've grown on and you know this uh, her and hal and uh, terminator right. and bunch of others okay what kind of right. i mean look yes there is a potentially a possibility of a malevolent super intelligence as there is potentially a possibility of an a, you know an aliens coming in a ufo or whatever right. possibilities are there but the right. much higher probability is not of a super intelligence destroying the human race but a malevolent human using powerful ai whether right. through rigging elections and destroying democracy or through lethal autonomous weapons uh and uh, you know therefore unleashing untold uh, war and horror on all of us or you know m- multiple other ways and so i i i fear the human using ai rather than ai itself you know in a bad the human using ai malevolently rather than the ai itself. absolutely and that's i think that's i think the nuance that we need to understand today and on that note just please thank you so much for doing this it's uh, always a pleasure to hear you speak about these topics because we often forget to include the philosophical and the human elements in the technologies and we forget that it's at the end of the day humans building the technologies so thank you so much again jaspreet for taking time out on a weekday morning um to have this conversation with us well thank you very much shovik i love to talk about these things and i'm so glad that you made this conversation beyond a just a narrow tech conversation to all the other things that you mentioned that's what made it enjoyable thank you yes yes great thank you thank you so much so thank you ladies and gentlemen that was jaspreet bindra joining us on techsetra for a conversation on as you would have heard by now that talks about ai doesn't just need to be limited to the machines and with that it's a wrap for this week see you next time So that's that for this episode. We really hope that you enjoyed what we discussed and if you have suggestions in terms of what more we can cover as part of our podcast, do let us know. You can catch me at Distant Vicinity on Twitter and at Shovik Das on Instagram. Thank you so much. See you next time.
stay updated on this podcast follow us at hd smartcast on all the major social media platforms to listen to more such podcasts log on to www.hdsmartcast.com